And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, buenos dias, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 25 of PNR's This Old Marketing. And I'm actually coming to you live from Naples, Florida on Monday, May 5th of 2014, Cinco de Mayo. As always, if you end up liking our bundle of audio sweetness, we would love a review on iTunes. And we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, just popping by our own little gigabyte of goodness, thisoldmarketing.com, where you can find the show notes and general greatness that we talk about here. And also, as always, coming from the wonderful Boston, Massachusetts, my good, good friend, the number one draft pick of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Hello, Joe. How are you, my friend? Are all your mock drafts done for your beloved Browns? <laughs> you know, it's it's Super Bowl day for uh, Cleveland Browns fans. <laughs> that's, that's the, dra- that's, the draft that's, is always is always our Super Bowl. <laughs> it and, only goes downhill uh, from here. I'll tell you <laughs> what, though. Here, here's the deal, and I know not a lot of our listeners aren't football fans, but if the Browns trade down, there will be a riot in the streets. I'm telling you. They have to keep that pick and pick best available. Well, with both of our lucks, here's what would happen. The Cowboys would trade up with the Browns, get Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football. And, you know, somebody said yesterday to me, if if the Cowboys get Johnny Manziel, Twitter will break. <laughs> they will, they, it will actually cause a huge I can uproar. see him as a Cowboy, though. Could you see that? Uh, no, I don't. No? I can't see him as a Cowboy. No, stop it right now. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So do we have any news this week that we should chat about? We do about? have quite a bit of news right. this week, actually. So uh, the first story, we have to cover this. It's just really fascinating. Um, it's the new upfronts. So, uh, and they're calling it the new upfronts. The new, uh, they're calling it the new fronts, as they've been called for the last uh, couple of years now, started in 2012. Um, and they wrapped this week. Um, really, they've been going on for a week. And for those of you who don't know what upfronts are, it's basically when... Uh, historically, when all of the television networks would come out and say, here's all of our new shows that you should be advertising on. And so this new event called The New Fronts um, has been really a week of brands. And really interestingly, and the reason that we wanted to cover it here was all of these new brands that are starting to launch digital content platforms or shows um, that are coming out and, and sort of exhibiting them this week. And there's a bunch of them, AOL and Hulu and uh, they've got A-list stars now coming out talking about new web shows. Um, what do you, th- you, you think, Joe? You know, I was going to get your take on this because, of course, you're, you're more Hollywood than I am. And I've never, paid, <laughs> I've never paid too, too much attention to the upfronts, although it just seems, it seems odd to me um, that, that they would even have something like this for – I mean, this is – this is exploding. I mean, I looked at the list, and of course, we'll put this in the show notes. But between you got BuzzFeed and Hulu and Crackle, and you've got uh, Jerry Seinfeld's show that was being talked about, and you got Morgan Spurlock yeah. in this. I mean, it's interesting that all these properties are going after talent. It's almost like what the publishers did with books. Well, they still do today, but years ago, they said, "Oh, okay. Well, let's go find uh, somebody that has a following, has an audience, and then you know get them to promote that, and that'll be good business for us." That's almost like what this is because they're targeting what AOL's got James Franco and Steve Buscemi. It's almost like, okay, let's get a star with a good following, especially good following in social, and let's build a show around them, and then we'll go sell advertising against it. I mean, very, 
I mean, very traditional model. It's just happening in the digital space, right? Yeah, well, I think that's exactly it. I mean, this is part of the, you know, I mean, we talked a couple of episodes ago about, uh, I know I went up to this event, this branded content event up in Toronto, and they, they talked about this event, actually. And it's this, you know, it's one step removed from, you know, it's what it really is, is, is agencies and online media really starting to look at the advertising model and sort of internet as television model, right? It's not, so it's not really content marketing as we would think of it, but it is branded content. So it does for some brands have a piece of what content marketing would, you know, would, would look at, you know, I mean, the, so my biggest takeaway here is, and, and it's buried in the middle of the article is they talked about Digitas LBI, um, which of course is part of the publicist uh, uh, family of, of wonderful agencies there. And they are, you know, they, they sort of came in with the big announcement that they're joining up with BuzzFeed and they're what they call their BuzzFeed in residence program where you get marketing and agency staffers from all of these agencies to come in and basically work a desk um, at BuzzFeed to help, you know, to do BuzzFeed's native advertising programs for their clients. And so what BuzzFeed has done is basically brought in an agency to say, hey, we want you to be our native advertising content marketing sort of execution arm. And they're doing that. So it, that was the most interesting thing to me and sort of most relatable thing to me with uh, with what content marketing. I think the, the my biggest sort of takeaway for a marketer who might be listening to this is just go, you know, we need to understand that this is happening. I mean, this is really happening at the large brand television, you know, agency side of things as upfront have forever and ever. But it's something that we need to know about because it's, it's, it, like you said, it's exploding. Well, why would I, and I guess I've been in this business too long because I don't understand why you would go to this and say, okay, I'm going to put a million or two million or five million or ten million dollars behind these three shows? Maybe one's James Franco and one's Jerry Seinfeld, or I mean, I, I'm thinking of, well, why don't we just do it ourselves? Like, why don't we get Jerry Seinfeld to do this? Here's what we want to. This is the story we want to tell. This makes sense, and it would cost us the same amount of money, sometimes even less, to produce it ourselves, and then we can pay for distribution. I mean, like, wh- why don't why don't we just do that? <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, Joe, uh, you know, why, why, you know, why, the thing is with agencies, they're, you know, I mean, look, there's no doubt here that agencies see their role in their clients, you know, strategy as disintegrating, you know, it's fragmenting just like everything else is. So, to, you know, to me, this is the agencies going, um, we need to figure this out because, Television is going away, and if we don't figure out a way to start to bring our clients really interesting ideas for how they can take you know, advantage of the digital channels, we're going to lose said client. And so I think you know, all of this is sort of wrapped up in this media, the media channels who want to sell the advertising space, the agencies who are trying to put together content for the uh, advertising space, and then the brands who can come in and sort of you know, go grocery shopping, as it were. It just seems like it's... <laughs> They're just trying to hang on. I just, I don't. Well, it's but what it's it's the it's the one thing that you and I really rail against, which is this. You know, it it is yet again one. We talked about this last week. It's the one sliver approach, right? So it's yeah, it's content marketing, but it's really only about the brand and how much brand awareness we can get at the very top, tip top of the funnel. You know, it's and it's not much. You know, it's like okay, well, 
why not run a TV commercial, right? You know, and, you know, I mean, I love the idea of what the Jerry Seinfeld did with the, you know, with the, the, the comedians in cars going for coffee. Um, and I like the idea of long form content being sponsored and as part of it, but as part of a overall content marketing strategy, not as a replacement for TV ads, yes. you know? Yeah. Well, that's the, well that's and the then the, just the last thing I have on this one is how long are we as consumers going to put up with the pre-roll? or mid-roll or whatever you want to call it, where they can get, I mean, because a lot of these, from what I was looking at, is not just product placement, and it's not just sponsored by. A lot of it will have to be run by, you get pre-roll. Yeah, it's exactly, well, or product placement or something like that, right? I mean, you know, and so, I mean, what they're going to, you know, I mean, look, you talk, I mean, talk about content shock, right? I mean, you know, so for every, you know, so, and like you mentioned, I've been in Hollywood for a long time, and, 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 you know, thousands of scripts get approved to be uh, pilots for shows. And then of those thousands, maybe 20, 30, 40 of them get made into pilots. And of those 20 or 30 or 40 that actually get made into pilots, a handful of them actually get approved for a season. And of the handful that get approved for a season, a even smaller handful get make it. Right. Yep. And so this is the real key here is, is that to me, this is nothing other than agencies leveraging what was once television ad dollars to create long form content in the hopes of actually creating something that's going to resonate. This is high risk and, and in my view, low reward. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also really, really inexpensive to produce compared to. Yes, television. Uh, fair point. Yes. Yep, super, super. And, and of course, less risky for all sides. It's going to cost them less to, to advertise against. It's going to cost less to produce, which is why you, I mean, look like hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of different shows, not yeah, just exactly the, the right. fewer. So it's, it's interesting. All right. The, well, I, and one, I want, I will say one thing and we can wrap this up, but I, I, I think for talent, um, you know, I will tell you right now that in Hollywood right now, the talent is super happy about this, right? You've got the A-list talent, the Robert Downey Juniors and, you know, uh, all of those kind of folks who are actually setting up production companies to do this kind of stuff. And then you've got sort of, you know, maybe call it, you know, A- minus or B or even C-level talent, you know, the Morgan Spurlocks of the world who can actually make a really nice living out of actually creating these shows and, and monetizing them. So for the talent, they're, they're, they're doing what I think they should do, which mm-hmm. is going out and going, hey, this is, this is ripe. You know, these, these, there's ripe picking here for, you know, for money to get stuff done. So there's a lot of really cool and creative stuff getting done. I just think it's being done too much in a silo and as part of a, you know, as part of a branded content approach when it would really be interesting to work this from a much more strategic approach. Strate- strategy? Is yeah. It- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. All right. So the next, well, speaking of native ads, here, our next story, this, this article, you know, look, we're what almost 11 minutes into the show and it may already be time for a rant. This, this article, I think maybe the, the, either the most brilliant thing I've read in a long time or something so silly that it's just, I, I, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. One of the, one of those things is true. So this comes from entrepreneur.com. Uh, a guy by the name of Ash, and I'm going to mispronounce this gentleman's name. I'm sure Nasht is how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, the founder and CEO of a company called Adiant, A-D-I-A-N-T. 
that describes themselves as a digital media technology company with a mission of delivering an innovative advertising solutions and top quality publishers and after. They're an ad network, ad software provider. And he writes an article in Entrepreneur that basically talks about how native advertising is in for a world of hurt because it's deceptive and it's deceiving and he has three best practices that will save the future from the deception of of, of native advertising. What, what did you think of this article? Boy, I, I'll tell you, there's a lot of this coming on. And just to give a little bit of a more detail, I had the pleasure of speaking to a group of uh, editors from uh, top-tier publications that we would all know over the weekend, and this was a big topic. And we were talking about, I mean, so there's a there's a big issue going on. I mean, first, transparency, yes, of course, we want to have transparency. But there was some genuine talk about how long would this model of native advertising go on and be accepted. I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you, are we just, I feel like we're in a transition period for what we know as native advertising. And sometime soon, there's going to be a model. Because right now, outside of sponsored post paid for post advertising at the top it's a little bit all over the place with how publishers are dealing with it well here's what i uh, so here's the, from this article specifically and by the way we paired this with another article which we'll get to in just a second here which is on uh, what you're what you're also getting to is somebody else who doesn't like uh, native ads at all but what i took away from this article I, you know i read it the first time and i was like wow this guy he, he doesn't really know what he's talking about because he basically talks about how, as marketers, we need to be thinking about being much more honest and transparent. And then he actually, his three best practices, like the first one is use clear headers and describe what, you know, that this is a sponsored post or this is an advertisement. You have to, you have, to have this as an advertisement. Well, the marketer doesn't get to choose that for the publication. No. The publication chooses that. And then, he's, and, then he, and then he says, if it's an ad, you've got to tell the reader that it's an ad, Right. Or it may violate FTC guidelines. Well, that's not true either because, A, the FTC hasn't really issued any guidelines on this. They've only had, like, the workshop back in December. And, B, he, he wants them to basically say this isn't – you know, the thing you were about to read is an advertisement. And then the last is best practices. Don't trick readers like when you click through to a landing page or something like that. You've got to tell them that even that is an advertisement. And so I went, wow, this is really interesting. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And then I clicked through to his website and I went, oh, well played, sir. Because what he's doing is he's actually saying he's basically it, 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 look it, like I said he's either giving very very you know he's either got a big white cat on his lap going <laughs> and watching you know saying basically here's what you should do basically throwing a big wrench into the into the uh, native advertising thing saying go do all these bad things that'll make native advertising fail and then I'll be back here waiting for your regular advertising dollars whenever that's ready or he doesn't know what he's talking about one of the two and I'm going to assume it's the former I'm going to assume that he's basically writing an article to the unsuspecting person who might be thinking about doing native advertising and going oh that's what I should do I should label it with a big ad that you know a headline that says this is an advertisement and that I should be completely clear about this and that I shouldn't you know and all of these things and then when it fails, goes see, regular advertising should have been your strategy all along. I see. I mean, yeah. Am I, am I? Is it? Is it, am I? Am I looking at too much of a conspiracy theory here? But, no, I, you you probably aren't. I th I think you're you're probably pretty close to the mark when it comes to it. I think the the most important thing that you said was is that the publication is in control of that. 
the other person's yeah. platform. And you've mentioned this all along. If you are a marketer and you are investing in native advertising, although, of course, the um, the theme or the the goal of native is to sort of fit in with everything else, to look like everything else. But really, as a marketer, we don't want to because we want to take that audience, we want to steal that audience, we want to bring them over to our site, and we want to keep them. So, That's exactly right. So, so really, we don't want to do any of these things that he's saying, oh, fit in, make sure it's properly labeled, because if I'm coming in, you, you really want to take as much as you can get. And- That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, as a publisher, I, I, I sort of sort of get what he's talking about. I mean, to your point that you've made a bunch of times, which is, you know, look, you know, he says, he says, quote, and I love this, where he said, and you can't use words like sponsored content because studies have shown that customers don't understand what sponsored means. And so it's like, really? We're, I mean, that's where we're at, where, where we have to choose our words based on what we think consumers will actually, I mean, you know, it's like, and, but the flip side of that as a marketer, I go, no, no, no. If I'm doing a native advertisement, I'm going to I'm going to leverage the brand where I'm putting that content into the greatest effectiveness I possibly can. Of course, I'm going to write an article that fits in as seamlessly as I can, but I want that content to stand out. I want it to stand out and be more be better than basically anything else they read in that magazine. So they go, "What is this article? Mm-hmm. It's so awesome. Who's the writer of this? Who's the What do they want me to do? I want I, I got to click over and see what more information about this. Click and then go over and get engaged in this other piece of content. And that's what I'm doing, trying to do as a marketer with native advertising. I care less if the publisher says, you know, how much effort they put into making it clear that I paid money to put that in that slot. In fact, I would rather they didn't, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, the there's two things. One, this whole FTC thing is making everyone so confused. The fact is, if the FTC gets involved and they start subjectively deeming that certain things are news and certain things aren't. We're all in a heap load of trouble. That's right. Absolutely. Because right. then all of our content, that, be, that basically means that we need to look at the business models behind how content is funded. That's a problem. Yeah. Because then if I, oh, if I sell shoes with my content instead of advertising, that means the advertising-based content is more valid in some way than, than the ones that Tom's selling shoes. Are you kidding me? So the, the other thing is, which is interesting, so I, we were at this event on Sunday, and I was going through the New York Times na- quote-unquote native advertising offering, which is not, we've talked about this before on the show, it's not native, because right. they do everything in their power to say it's different right. content. And right. we've talked about this also on the show, there's 11 markers that say paid Beware, you are entering paid content zones. And we went through, <laughs> yeah, right. we went through Dell's example of that. And, and what we came to, so all the editors were in the room. They said, they said, why does Dell do this? Because, first of all, it's not on the New York Times site. It's on a subdomain of the New York Times site. And you, the only way that you can really get to it is if you advertise traditionally on the NewYorkTimes.com platform, and then you go to the subdomain, and then you go to an article that's just okay, but you're in your own bubble, and but you're on the New York Times. So I guess the value is, oh, I can point my consumers and say, oh, look, you know, our, our Dell marketer or our Dell expert is on the NewYorkTimes.com. We, we came as a group and said, it might be better for Dell to just have it on their own site. Yeah. 
And absolutely. So that I think when you get to all this stuff through native, you might just, I hope you're asking the question. And this is where I, I think we need to come down to. I think the people that are doing, they're seeing more engagement, more click throughs. I mean, we've talked about that religiously on the show with lots of different research. So we've seen the difference in native, but I don't think people are asking, what is this going to do? for my marketing <laughs> initiative. Right, right. So is if activity if activity is the is the goal, great. It's more but we know that activity is not what we want. You know, we well, exactly. we want something I different mean, and I think that's the that's well, the Well, especially issue. in a paid. I mean, then you know, just go pay for it, right? I mean, you know, you can you know, I mean, it's easy to pay for activity, right? I mean, it's you know, you don't have to also generate content to do that. Ex- exactly. <laughs> you lots might as well just generate an ad. Lots stick it on the front lots page. Lots of different ways to get activity. You got it. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the article that we paired this with was for, on Media Post, actually, and it was uh, an article called Truth, Truth of Consequences. Um, and uh, and it was from Bob Garfield, who like really doesn't like native advertising. And this was sort of a shot across the bow of all those people like get like who would be at year of the event you were at, which is basically don't do this. I, I think he even calls it at one point poison, poison, deception. There's all kinds of horrible yeah. words that he's <laughs> that he's putting out. It's the de- it's it's spawn of the devil. I think is right. what he came. Yeah. Well, but in the next news item. Which is really interesting because this is the flip side of that, which is fascinating to me. So Mark Andreessen, who you all know from Netscape fame and, of course, from his v- uh, VC company and putting money into all kinds of uh, other startups and gajillionaire, he basically came out with an article, a manifesto it was called even, um, where he said he was bullish on the news industry. Um, and we've seen this, you know, uh, a few different places over the last uh, couple of years with billionaires buying news outlets and, and, and that sort of thing. But his his he basically has this prediction that says he says the news business will be 10 or even 100 times the size that it is today. And that is a I think a bold prediction for sure. And he then goes through how he thinks this will happen, which he goes through and says there's you know he basically outlines eight different revenue models which native he doesn't call it native advertising but he does mention the idea of content um and all of that and and my favorite quote from the whole thing was at the very end where he says basically before you journalistic purists out there and it's it felt like he was yelling right at bob garfield as he says this before you journalistic purists burst a fountain pen consider that there are intermediate points between holier than holy and hopelessly corrupt when it comes to editorial content i love that quote i thought that spoke right to what you always talk about which is this we should just we should trust our readers to understand the difference you know what he's saying is interesting i mean he goes through the fact that we are. I mean, how, what was the stat about how many mobile phones there's going to be? Six billion. Yeah, six billion. Six yeah. billion mobile phones. There's no barriers. We've talked about this. There's no barriers to entry. Everyone's <clears throat> going to need more content on those six billion phones. Uh, the fact that there's no like newspaper versus magazine versus TV. We're all co- competing with each other. Uh, it'll give more access to people getting more news. And I think what's interesting is, and I'm trying to find out where it is. But he talks about this thing about death in the middle, which is really interesting. And we talk yeah. about that with our clients, right? Yep. Don't go yep. to the lowest common denominator with your content. That's one. The second thing is if you just, if you just create content that everyone else is creating, that's not going to work for you. You have to really go, and he calls it maximum specific, which I love yeah. that. 
So it's how many term. opportunities yeah. is there to get super, super niche? Um, yeah. Even with like we talk about with some of our big customers, big clients, where you don't have one content marketing strategy, you have, you have an approach to content marketing that you're going deep into 15 or 20 different verticals. We're allowed to do that today. We can yeah. absolutely do that, and that's what he's saying is going to happen. And it's that whole, it's the spirit of that quote. The, you know, there's, it used to be thousands of markets with millions of people, and now there are millions of markets with thousands of people. I mean, I, you know, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm owning that quote until somebody shows me who else said it. I'm, I know somebody else said it. I know somebody else said it, but yeah, I don't know who it is. That's just Dash the Robert Rose. <laughs> and we're just going to say that that's, <laughs> that's yours. Here's a, so, okay, here's the thing that killed me because, and everybody should read this article. It's, it's truly enlightening. But he goes through the different revenue sources, and you're right. Yeah. He talks about eight. So first off, number one is advertising. And I just find it so interesting that everybody that starts producing content, the first thing they think of is, oh, I need advertising to support it. Even native advertising, right? Why do right. we always yeah, just sure. go naturally to advertising? Of course, there's other ones, subscriptions, premium content, events. We do that for Content Marketing Institute. That's how we sure. fund all of our content. Crowdfunding, he talks a lot about philanthropic causes and donations. Here's the one thing he doesn't, did, do you... Do you see one that's not mentioned? Do you see one? Do you, you probably you, maybe you missed it. I don't it. have it up in front of okay, me right here's, now. But, so but there's yeah. he lists the eight, and then yeah. the ninth one is selling an actual product. That's what of course that's what oh, that's course. what we do. That's what you know. That's, that's what exactly content marketers right. do. And I can't believe for all the news because because I believe that the that a good chunk of the news content that's going to be coming out in the next three to five years is going to be coming coming from brands that don't have any one of the eight revenue sources. They're going to be selling more shoes or more uh, hardware or, or Intel's going to be selling more chips or whatever the case is. That's well, what they're we, going to be selling. We got a note. We're not actually didn't, didn't make the, the, the show cut, uh, but uh, Hava Liebtag, who's a, a, a wonderful content strategist, sent us a note this week about the, there was an article she wrote in CMS Wire this week about Gwyneth Paltrow doing exactly that, right? Where she's, covering news and covering different you know aspects of fashion trends and all this and people subscribe and now she's selling products she's selling shoes and she's selling dresses and things that she puts her name behind mm -hmm. and as as sort of a content marketing effort i was going it's, it's boy it seems so simple yet it's so tough for a lot of uh, journalists and publishers to get through because we went through this whole model over the weekend about native advertising. It was a really fantastic conversation, and I just said, look, you make the decision on how you want to handle native. I just want you to think about the fact that maybe you could sell other stuff to support right. your content. Whatever that may be, I don't care what you sell, but the fact is, is that don't put that out of your mind where you could fund this a completely different way. There's no reason why you can't. And like, Such an excellent point. I just wish I just wish we'd think about that because that's what Red Bull's doing. That's what yeah. Coca-Cola's doing. That's what Kraft is doing. And it's for some reason I and, and Andreessen, you're right. Fantastic article. And he's missing that one key point. And well, I wish he would have had didn't we didn't we, I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago where we started talking about the flip side, right? I think it was when we talked about Brian Clark and Copyblogger and all of that, and we said, look, we we spend a lot of time in content marketing circles talking about how product companies should become media companies and publishers. But we don't spend a lot of time, and, and this is something you just have sort of inherently, because it's and it's the reason that it came first to you, 
and it sort of comes last to me, sort of coming from the backgrounds you and I come from, which is just fascinating to me, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how media companies should become product companies and use content marketing practices to, to do exactly that. So I think, I think it's, it's you've, it, it, interestingly, you almost you almost have to come from that media background to even yeah. start to think about that. You know, stuff, you, know you know what, what I mean. But what's interesting is, and this just happened today, so it's so interesting. So I always, I, I told you the story before. My boss David Nussbaum uh, at Penton Media, when we were in our first like key strategic meeting at Penton, and I was in charge of um, content marketing services at the time, and I, and I was talking about my strategic vision, and he said. He said, Joe, don't get so stuck on the traditional models for how you do your job. Like, I don't care if you sell shoes, what you sell to monetize this. There's lots of different ways to do it. Well, let's fast forward to 2014 here. He took over uh, an enthusiast media company called F&W in 2008, I believe. At the time, they were around 6 to $8 million, and they were in, like, woodworking and crafting and all kinds of media and those properties. They just got a huge amount of money, influx, VC money today, um, for, today? today, actually, it happened today. Right. I can put it in the show notes uh, where F&W got a, got a bunch of money from private. I think maybe a private equity was, is the better way to put it. So they got that in and they've, they're like a $60 million company. So they've, they've grown about 10 times since over the last six years because they've become an e-commerce giant. Wow. But the, simply on what we're talking about, they took their media company and they're now an e-commerce company selling all kinds of stuff. They'd sell books and how-to kits and all kinds of stuff, and re- very little of that revenue is advertising. So I think that us content marketers, so what can we learn as content marketers? I think we can do we can fund our programs a lot of different ways. That's so that's don't just, just so true. Don't that's just think so of true. even if yeah, you know, and we talk about Red Bull funds a good portion of their program through selling their syndicating their content and selling that directly. And other parts they do by showing, hey, this is an increase in lift that's going to help us sell more Red Bull. Lots of different ways to show and tell that story for how we're proving our our content worth. So yeah, and it's you know we we you know it, it's worth putting some thought into because we often sort of we giggle right when we go. When, when, you know, when the line is used, you know, Red Bull says they're a media company that sells a soft drink. We, you know, we go, <laughs> you know, that's, that's cute. That's funny. That's clever. A clever way. It's no, it's, it's, it's actually, if we think about it, it's really the case. If they are a media company that happens to sell a product, it's, 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 and if you start putting, if you start really thinking about it, that's where we're moving. And, and fairly quickly. Yeah. Fairly, fairly quickly. So anyways, there you go. I mean, anyway. great, great story. Really love yeah. the story. Yep. So moving on, our next item in the news, uh, you know, you and I never get political uh, on this uh, on this show. And this is an interesting one to me. Um, this is definitely relevant, much more relevant to our friends uh, down in Oz uh, than it will be to those in the States. Although I think there's a lot, you know, a lot of relevance across all kinds of politics here. So the Australian... Uh, uh, there's an Australian political party, it's the Labour Party, um, and they are actually making an active pitch to go hire someone to start their own news service, to basically start content marketing. This comes to us from uh, Nadia Cameron, who's the editor of uh, the CIO magazine. She covers the CMO beat of the CIO magazine, which is a little odd, but okay, that's IDG for you. And then she basically sent us a note and wanted us to comment on this about how she says uh, the Labor Party is setting up its own news service. Looks like a content marketing initiative. She's going to write a story about this, of course. 
And what did you think about this? this I, th- I thought this was really super interesting. You know, it's really interesting. And, and I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder because, of course, I saw your comment back uh, in the in the email. And I yeah. agreed with it right away. This could be a huge opportunity for them to start uh, setting policy and actually getting people to start talking about their initiatives and doing it in a very authentic way. The problem is they're going to get that much feedback negatively, most likely, back at them. And they have to prepare, like, like as you create a content marketing approach around this, you better prepare for the beatback right. to, come, to come at you big time. Because if you put it out there, you're going to get that much coming back. But that said... I don't know why more. I don't know why the Republican and the Democratic Party. I mean, why did Obama get so much press for, you know, going and and doing what he did in social media and putting those infographics together? And because they'd never been done before. Nobody'd ever put like really helpful infographics together on a regular basis telling the voters, here's how we see this issue. Here's how we see the health care issue. And here's how you should look at it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And instead of doing it on other channels like a C-SPAN or a CNN or an MSNBC, they're saying, look, we're going to create our own channel. And why the heck not? Yeah. And I think that's the real difference here. Right. I mean, because, you know, it, it, we it is, you know, we immediately think of politics. We go, well, they they've been creating content for for years. Yeah. Right. They you know, they've always been creating content. And it's certainly not new that they have tried to. You know, I mean, there's been movies made about this. There's, it's just well worn that political parties during election cycles want to control, every, you know, the daily news cycle, right? You know, they they call it their talking points or their focus message of the day, right? You can see it happening, right? If you watch the morning news shows during a campaign or even during uh, non-campaign times, where even the same politicians will use the same wording. There's a classic video of uh, of an English. Uh, a British uh, uh, a politician uh, going through the same talking points over and over and over and over again to the point of being just nonsense answers, right? Every single question, you just go through the same yep. talking points. But the difference here is that they're actually now not going to just try and control the narrative that's happening through channels like news, you know, like the, the news stations and those sorts of things. They're actually going to create the narrative, right? This is they're actually going to create content, hire someone who's going to create a news channel and actually set up their own competing, theoretically, news channel to, uh, you know, what's out there. Have they created it already? Well, I mean, <laughs> somewhat, I mean, some would argue yes, right? Some would argue that MSNBC and Fox are, are, are sort of our versions of that. But, you know, I mean, there is a, a, at least a modicum of declaration that they are independent news channels and that they are trying to do something yeah. there's there's sort of not the hey you know what this is republican news today or whatever you know or democratic news you know this week and that's what we're really talking about here and i think to your to your point the the difference between a brand doing this and a political party doing this is is that the blowback is just you've got to expect it right so the transparency has to be extra transparent and you've got to take all these extra precautions to actually do this in a way that's going to be, you know, because as soon as it smells like selling, it's over, right? Yep. And, and, and so it will be a really delicate balance here to, to, to try and do this. I mean, so I think what the Obama administration did with like it or not, be it for it or against it or whatever, what they did with the campaign to go out to uh, for the Affordable Care Act, you know, with what he did on uh, the – 
uh, you know, on Funny or Die and the infographics and the social campaign and all the content, that was getting close to what we're talking about. Yeah, I think just the one thing that I'd finish up with the Australian labor issue, and I know they haven't gone full steam ahead in doing this, but right now, if you look at their stories, they're very inconsistent. I mean, from a timing standpoint. And this is the issue that all, all the brands we work with have because they're not cons- they don't consistently publish. They publish when they feel they have a story. And if you're going to be successful at content marketing, you better publish on a consistent basis. If you're going to do it every day, do it every day. If you're going to do it every other day, do it every other day. Uh, and and right. this already, I see, is not starting off well because it's like April 22nd, April 25th, April 30th. Well, what schedule is that? That doesn't. I can't compete. That that can't compete with anything out there. So for everyone out there, if you're going to do a program, please pick whatever your frequency should be and hit that frequency and do it <laughs> and do it for a long period of time, and then you can start to see how the program's doing. But if you don't, you can never tell. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, moving on. Our next story here is a interesting one and one I know that will be close to your heart here. The story is called Why Paper Might Be the Smart Reading Device of the Future. It comes from Wired.com. And this was just a, a really interesting story, I thought, um, because it talks about the different types of reading that people are doing here. And we've, you know, you've heard all sorts of news about, you know, that we've lost our attention spans, that we can't do, you know, reading anymore. And this is actually coming from scientists who've really studied the this idea of what they call deep reading um, and how really on-screen reading, it, things like scrolling, swiping, yep. the screen changing really sort of disrupts that. And so they're actually talking about how paper for that kind of deep reading might be really the optimal the optimal way to do this and, and maybe the, really the only way of doing this. What did you think? What's well, interesting, I never thought about it, but when they, they were going through the research and talking about the, the brain and how the brain works when you actually do scroll or you move, move down and your eyes actually see different things on the screen and how, versus just how a story is laid out on, uh, on, in a print book or a newspaper. Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely believe that because, I mean, I'm, let's talk, I'll talk personally for a second. When I really want to sit down and retain something, it's got to be print for me, absolutely, yeah. because that's the way that I learn. I'm not saying that I don't. And, and by the way, when I'm when I'm on the road and I want to take lots of books with me and I'm doing research, I love electronic is great. I mean, you and I both use Evernote. I save a lot of things in Evernote. I make notes in Evernote. It works super well when I'm working on something else. But when I just want to engage in something, it's print. And it seems like the data, at least from what this article says, is proving that out that we retain a lot more. And the brain works much differently when we're engaging in something that's print. So, yeah. hey, and, and if it's, and I'm reading it online, so it must be true. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. The fact that we read both. I know. Is that that well, here's the thing. I was going to say is I read the article, but I can't remember anything because I read it online. I have to print it out and read it later. <laughs> uh, I have to copy it into my Evernote and then print it out because I don't remember anything. Exactly. Okay, but well, it just that's... it just speaks to the fact that still, depending on what you want your customers to do, there is an opportunity in print. Yeah. And every day I talk about this that I think there's a huge opportunity in print as less and less like real substantial mail 
comes in. As long as there's a post office around delivering something to your customers, there is an opportunity to get something in their hands that can make an impact on them, but it's different kind of content. No doubt. Uh, and so I, I just think that, and, and when there's so many things to choose from, right? We have, oh, are we going to do a blog post? Are we going to do social media posts? Are we going to do webinars? Are we going to do events? We, you know, what are, what are we going to do? Well, we should really take a thoughtful look at the channel of print and see if there's an opportunity. Yeah, I think well said, well said. Well, speaking of online um, and uh, other elements of, of content and how it gets delivered, so we, we talked, I don't know where it was, four or five episodes ago about this lawsuit going against podcasters. Oh, that's right. And Adam Carolla, and I know you you sent me this link, and I read it today, and it was just fascinating. Um, and we wanted to give a plug um, for, you know, for the effort to go on to – to sort of support Adam Carolla and what he's doing from a podcasting perspective. Yeah, so, um, you know, what's funny is I was on the plane to Boston this morning, grabbed the USA Today, and, and, the, and the first article, the lead article in the money section is about, it's called Trial Cast Doubt on Podcasts. So basically, for those that don't know, uh, there is a James Logan uh, who is suing uh, with a company called Personal Audio and is suing Adam Carolla's Ace Broadcasting and a couple other podcasters for infringing on patents that Mr. Logan put out, I think, initially in 2001 or something, and then amended it to include podcasting in 2009. Doesn't matter. What you need to know is Adam Carolla is being sued by a guy uh, for patent infringement on the actual act of putting podcasts together and play and playlists, and the guy never did a, has never done a podcast. He's never done a podcast, and he, and Adam Carolla is getting sued for this. And I, Adam Carolla probably is the one getting sued because I think if I'm not uh, if not wrong about this, Adam Carolla has had more people download his podcast than any other podcast on the face of the earth. So Mr. Logan here went right for the, the big, uh, the big guy. The reason we want to give a shout out, first of all, read the article. It's super important. And, and both Robert and I feel that podcasts are going to be super important for all of us going in here in the future as, as one of our, uh, distribution mechanisms for content. But there is a site called FundAnything.com, and Adam Carolla has pulled in 370000 already in funding. He's trying to get $1.5 million, which what he feels he needs to defend against this case, which is just unbelievable to me. So if you're passionate over this cause, uh, go to FundAnything.com and support it. If you want to keep listening to podcasts like um, Robert's and ours on a regular basis without us having to pay Mr. Ooh. Logan, Mr. Logan, who's never done a podcast before. <laughs> this is just smells of everything wrong with the patent system. And actually, your friend um, from uh, Altimeter, and I, oh man, I'm, I'm, I can't think of her name. Uh, Rebecca? That, that, no, it's not Rebecca. Oh, Charlene Lee. Charlene, Charlene Lee, Lee oh, okay, yeah, was sure. mentioned, mentioned multiple times in here and her expertise on uh, on podcasting and patents and what I didn't know she's a patent expert, but she comes across I, as one. Oh, I did not know that at all either. All right, well, good for her. Yeah, there you go. So, all right. Yeah, well, so basically, everybody should know that you got it. Yeah. And speaking of paying the bills, uh, we have a sponsor, don't we? Not. We do absolutely. So, um, I once again uh, we want to thank our sponsor today, Oracle Marketing Cloud. Actually, there was a big. Um, 
press release today that went out that that formally there is an Oracle marketing cloud. They brought all the good pieces and parts of Oracle together, pushing out this idea of uh, of the marketing cloud as Oracle sees it. And what we want to promote today is their fantastic ebook, Marketing Automation Simplified. You can get this at bit.ly.com slash PNR-MA. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR-MA. And basically the, the simplified guide to marketing automation goes through five tenets of modern marketing uh, where they really cover data and targeting, email marketing, lead nurturing and scoring, content marketing, and then sales and marketing alignment. So please, uh, we would love you to support our sponsor because we wouldn't be able to do this without them. So go to bit.ly.com slash PNR dash MA and download your download copy it. today. You got Tell it. Tell your friends to download it. Get your kids to download it. Get your <laughs> uncle to download it. Put it out on the web and just just download it. Just It's going to be Just fantastic. do it. Just do it. You know, just I make it happen. I think somebody at some point is going to do an infographic. So here's your challenge, marketers out there. Somebody do an infographic of all these fluffy marketing clouds and 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 how you navigate among the marketing clouds because that that's that's waiting to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make it happen now. I know everybody's just dying to go download it. Just do it now. You're going to have to do it right now. Just take some time. Make it happen. Yep, you got it. (laughs) All right. Well, now it is time for the show, uh, our favorite part of the show, our rants and rave sections, where Joe and I have a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that has either really bugged us um, or has uh, made us, uh, made our hearts sing. And and this week, um, I know it will come as a shock to you. Um, Can I get like a little egotistical just for a second here? I mean, I, I have a rant and, you know... Can I just go – I mean can I get a little like self-centered for a minute? It is it, – it's – it's so there's a, a press release that came out uh, this week um, and basically the press release is the best content marketing expert in Los Angeles. And, you know, look, I am not – okay, so <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But – I didn't even know that there was a contest. I mean, come on. And so this guy <laughs> uh, by the name of uh, Morgan uh, Dermage, I guess is his name, um, who has a company uh, – well, I'm not even going to find his name. It's, it's the name of his company, Spruce Online or something. Anyway, he is apparently the best content marketing expert in Los Angeles. And he issued a press release to make this claim. And when you read the press release, you find out that – the survey was actually done, I think, by the company he owns. And so they created the survey, they created the candidates for the survey, and then actually named the CEO of the company the best content marketing expert in Los Angeles. Now, <laughs> okay, aside from the fact that I would have loved to have been considered, I mean, I would have put together a, a hell of a uh, of an application for, for this, um, I the really the reason I wanted to rant against this is because just to me this is this is exactly the poster child for what not to do um, from a content marketing perspective is first of all to name yourself the content marketing expert and then issue a press release telling everybody why you're the content marketing expert and then and, and all of that. Well, the interesting thing is when I saw the the note that you sent over to me, I saw best content marketing expert in Los Angeles. And the first thing that I thought of was the Robert Rose. 
<laughs> and uh, and then I'm looking at this picture, Sadly and it looks no. and it looks nothing <laughs> like you. So I'm like, I don't know what happened here. But the one thing that's interesting is, I went to this person's site, which will go uh, nameless, uh, because how they got all the all the expertise in this whole thing, and uh, stuff like, oh, we'll get you, uh, we'll get you a hundred thousand likes, uh, we'll get you a hundred thousand views, we'll get you ten thousand of this, all the horrible things that <laughs> you would yeah. never put your name to as a con. Oh, we will get 10,000 plus visitors to your site. We will get 100,000 plus views for you on YouTube. Oh, please. This is yeah. this is really really bad, but uh yeah. but now I'm sorry. I'm going to have to, you know, you're no longer going to be it's not, I it can't no be longer in consideration. It, but uh, but yeah, you know, the other thing it can't be it can't be PNR's uh, this old marketing. It's got to be <laughs> D, I guess uh, I have to talk to this guy because I wanted the number one content marketing expert from the West Coast. Okay, and- well, yeah, I mean, I'm so sorry, Joe. Yeah. I'm so I'm so sorry. I let you down. I let everybody down. It's uh, it's really so, a, it's really a shame. You know, so my my rave will be really really quick. Hats off uh, to Matt Collier, uh, a good friend of the show, good friend of mine, uh, for picking this up. And I just am amazed by this. And this has nothing to do with content marketing. But the um, the article that Mac puts together says Amazon introduce, introduces a hashtag Amazon cart for social buying. So basically what can happen here, uh, if I get this right, is if you like a product, you can reply to it in a tweet. Reply to, to some tweet that you like, like let's say you want an ebook or a book or whatever it is or a pair of shoes. And if you reply to that and you put hashtag Amazon cart, it'll add it to your cart automatically wow. at Amazon.com. That's pretty cool. I mean, come on. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, can you imagine the things that you and I are going to be Amazon carting to? I can imagine <laughs> the things my wife are going to be Amazon carting. I just saw my visa bill go up by about 200%. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny because one of the comments I was I was watching the the Twitter stream, and the one guy I don't know who he was, but he said, "Please don't tell my better half." <laughs> That's exactly right. So, anyways, hats off to uh, Amazon for fan- innovation at its best. You got it. Yeah, that is fantastic. All right, well, then now is the time for our namesake of our show, This Old Marketing. And, Joe, you have a really interesting one this week. You know, I, I, I love this one. It's been going on for a long, long time, um, and I've, I've known about it since the days when I used to visit uh, Campbell Ewald in, in uh, Detroit. And I don't know if Campbell Ewald's still involved in it, but I remember they, you, they put this together for the U.S. Navy, and it's called NavyForMoms.com, which is – an amazing online community. It's, it's set up like a microsite, but it's basically where they're targeting moms, of course, and, and they have kids, uh, daughters and sons that are in the Navy. And of course, parents are dealing with, you know, these moms are dealing with a lot of issues. You know, what's going on with their kids? What's the environment? And it's really a resource that the Navy put together where these moms could talk to each other. And it is, first of all, super niche audience, right? super targeted um and it's not you know you don't have to rely on the promises of these military recruiters where the you know navy for moms let's say that your kid is getting sent off to the navy or decided to enlist and you really are confused by this so you don't know you want to you want answers to your questions what do you do well here you can go directly to the source to a bunch of moms that are going through it who have been through it that really help each other off and out and and hats off 
to uh, the Navy for putting this together. It's NavyForMoms.com. Wow. It's been it's around. Incredible. It's been around for at least five years that I know of. It's extremely successful. And like, for example, you're going to send a Christmas package overseas. How do you do it? Go to NavyForMoms.com. And they'll help you out and do it. And just fantastic. I just would recommend if you're looking to set up a, an online community, look at this one first. And it'll teach you some things. That is amazing. I love that. I love that. And especially that it has to do with the Navy. It's just so fantastic. Fantastic. You got it. Where are we going? We're about. We are. We're. We're both not home at the moment. We're. I'm in we're, Florida, and you're in Massachusetts. And that's right. I got the keynote tomorrow morning at Ektron's uh, Synergy Conference, and then I'm later this week. I'm at uh, the Brain Traffic Confab oh, Conference, right. Uh, right. speaking, and then the and then the next week I'm at the Fortunes uh, Innovation Summit or something like that in in Orlando. Looking forward to to that. And I know you're so you're you're where now, and then you're going somewhere else, right from here. I'm in, I'm in Florida for tonight. Basically, I have tomorrow. I have the advertising the this the uh, Association of National Advertisers uh, event is their financial services event. So it's a big uh, uh, event that it's they a big do deal. down here. Yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, they come. They do this for the big banks and and financial services companies and and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm actually weirdly and ironically speaking on with a couple of pharma guys who are talking about regulated content and all that kind of stuff. And then I'm home for a few days, and then I'm off to my yearly sojourn with. Uh, uh, one of my favorite clients uh, does their user conference up in Sundance, and they bring me in to help be an expert and facilitate and do some stuff and coaching. And um, I'm just I, I get excited every time I do it because it's a, first of all it's in Sundance, Utah, and then second of all it's because it's just amazing people, and I learn more than I've ever can think of in three days. So it's a it's it's a little bit of a retreat for me. And then I'm and then of course the next week is uh, executive forum. So I am excited about that. There you go. Well I'll tell you what, I'm wishing you the best of luck on Thursday for the draft and and uh, thank and you I'll very be, much. I'll you be I'll same. be sitting I'll be, yeah. be sitting at a bar in, in Minneapolis, hopefully by myself, uh watching the draft so nobody can see my reaction because it'll probably be negative. Uh I, but uh, best best you, best year Cowboys, my friend. Thank you, and the best to your Browns. And that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or send us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number 25. And if you liked it, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Market.